Hello, my name is Pastor Paul. This is Lowell Assembly's online service, and we are going through a series titled The Simple Gospel. We're really going through the book of Romans. Romans is Paul's letter to the church in Rome about what salvation is. He wrote and said, what is it to be a Christian? How do I become a Christian? Why, why do we need a savior? What do I do once I become a Christian? What, what do I do as I continue to grow as a Christian? And all these things are, are set out in the book. But at the beginning, he sums it up in a couple of sentences found in chapter one, verses 16 and 17. And we've been starting with this each week. So let me begin there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Christianity is simply us turning to God and saying, I can't be my own savior. It doesn't matter how bad you are or how good you are. You could put the best person in the planet on top of Mount Everest and put the worst person in the lowest pit in the Mariana Trench and ask those two people to touch a star. They're as far from the stars can be. Righteousness, the kind that God demands for us to enter into his presence is out of reach for the human race, just as much as a star is between those two people. And so Paul takes the first two chapters of Romans and he takes chapter one and says to the world, nobody is an atheist by birth. Everybody looks out, looks up, looks at their child being born, even under a, a molecular microscope and looks at DNA. There's too much order to the universe to say that it just simply happened. If there's a painting, there's a painter. If there's a building, there's a builder. If there is a creation, there is a creator. And he says, rather than acknowledging God, you rejected his revelation by ignoring himself revealed through creation. But now in chapter two, he turns to the religious, to the Jew, to the child of Abraham, the person that was proud to be that person who knew who God was. You see, in chapter one, they looked at the world and they said, that's right, you need God, you're a wreck, you're a mess. And then in chapter two, God turns his attention through Paul's writings to the religious. You could do this to the Christian today as much as you could the Jew when Romans was being written. And he says, and you too need a savior. And this is why we keep saying that that the simple gospel isn't as simple as we, we'd like to make it to be and that there, there's a gospel that's out there called the gospel of good enough. In other words, there are people out there that are bad, but I'm a good person. And the truth of the matter is that the Bible says there is no one righteous, not one. Let me read to you a section of this and then I'm gonna read a couple of question and answers that Paul does in chapter two and into chapter three. But let me read the condition of of the religious now. He says, listen, you, you outside of the church, you who don't have a witness of God, you do because I've revealed myself to creation. But now he turns to the people that are like, that's right, you're a mess, you're, you're a sinner. And now he says, and you're, you're in need of a savior just as much. Listen, now he says it. Romans chapter two, verse one. You therefore have no excuse, O man, for every one of you who passing judgment on another condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things they do. We know that God's, right, uh, God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who practice such things and yet condemn those who do them, will you escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, 
not knowing that God's kindness in, is meant to lead you to repentance. In, in simple, what he's saying to him is, is he says, listen, for every finger that you point at everybody else saying, you need, you need God, you need Jesus, you need, you need to get saved. You need, there are four other fingers pointing back saying, and you need the same thing just as much as everybody else. You know, the, heaven and hell are going to be filled with good and bad people. What makes the difference between who ends up where is whether or not you choose to be your own savior. See, God is not going into the world and putting his arm around wicked people who ask Christ to, to forgive them of their sins and saying, come in here, I'm gonna have pity and mercy on you. And then putting his arm around everybody who went to church and called themselves a Christian and saying, but you, you did it, you earned it. Come on into heaven. That isn't how this thing works. See, you have, to, you have to be able to embrace the truth that you are morally bankrupt. You can't reach the righteousness of God. And Paul throws it back and says, listen, stop pointing at the world and look at yourself and know that you need a savior and God wants Jesus to be that savior for you. But this raises a question. Well, well then what good is it being a, a, a follower of Christ? What good is it for them for being a Jew? And Paul says this in chapter three, verse one, let me read it to you says, what advantage has a Jew or what value is of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the very oracles of God. And then he throws in this little clause and he says, but what if some of them were unfaithful? Uh, now, to really unpack that, you really have to know the backdrop of it. Whenever you talk about believing, trusting faith, the name of Abraham comes up. And whenever you talk about the oracles or the law of God, Moses comes up. See, everybody runs to the Old Testament and directly to Moses and says, there it is, the God's law, God's Ten Commandments. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that there isn't anyone that, that can get off free and clear off of any of those ten. And if you look at the Old Testament as a whole, there's 613 commandments as a whole that, that somebody could find that is broken. There's nobody that is whole enough to make it to heaven. It's not a frequent flyer program that God says, you've paid enough in good deeds. Now you get a free trip to heaven for all eternity. No, we have to be able to say, God, I'm so, I'm so broken. Forgive me. It doesn't matter where you break your life, whether it's through lies, whether it's through adultery, whether it's through idolatry, whether it's through murder, whether it's through looking what somebody else has and wanting it for yourself, covetousness, every single person has smashed the ability to get into heaven on their own merit. That's why Jesus came into the world. But he gives us these two examples and he turns to Abraham. Why? Why Abraham? If you look at Abraham, God, God says that he made a promise to him. He shows up in his life and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great country out of you through your children. Every nation on the earth will be blessed. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless them. Anyone who curses you will be cursed. And through you, every nation of the earth will be blessed. Well, that's awesome. Imagine many of us are dying saying, oh God, just speak into my life. God shows up, doesn't just speak to this man's life. He speaks to him when he's, he's far away from God and in Babylon and Ur of the Chaldeans. He's not even in a church context and God begins to speak to him. Maybe like the way that, that he's speaking to you right now. And he says, I've got a plan for you, Abraham. I want to do something through your life. It is going to bless the world around you. I want to show the world who I am through you. I want to bless the world through you and I'm going to do it. Who would not hearing that say, do it, use me, please. I want to, I want to be a part of something greater than myself. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. Abraham, I'm going to, your wife is going to have a child and that child 
child is going to be the father of many and it's going to become a nation. And as soon as he said the word child, Abraham's heart dropped. See, because Abraham was 80 years old and his wife, Sarah, was barren. They tried this. Many of you listening to me right now are grieving the loss of a child, are grieving the loss of a barren womb. Imagine, it almost seems like it's, it's as if, is God being cruel to them? Who shows up and does that? Who shows up and says something like that? See, this is the amazing thing about who God is. When it comes to what God wants to do through your life, he will say something so crazy and so impossible that the only way that it'll happen is as if he does it. You see, because if you and I begin to take credit for the process, then God isn't being God and he's not being savior, is he? And in fact, for some of us, we look at our own life and we look at our own sin and we look at our own struggles and we say to ourselves, why would God want anything to do with me? My life is a mess. Why would God want or anyone want anything to do with me? I'm a hypocrite. God would look at you and say, that's why I need to be your savior. That's why you need Jesus for those of us that are in the church, just as much as anybody who's never even heard of the, of the church or Jesus. We all need a savior. But it would be easier for you probably to believe that an 80 year old person could have a child than for God to look at you and say, I forgive you of your sin. I wipe your slate clean and I'm gonna do great things through your life. See, because we want to earn it. We want to, we want to say we did our part. We were part of the process. We contributed to it. In other words, you didn't give me a handout, God. I did it. I was a good person. And God is saying, that is not how I do miracles. You know how you experience a miracle in your life? You know how salvation works? It's a simple, empty, open hand where God says, this is what I want to do with you. And you say, oh God, I don't know how. But if you said it, I believe it. Here's a crazy thing about Abraham. It says in the New Testament, it says, not that Abraham believed the promise, but he believed God. Think about that. It was like God came to him and said, your wife's going to have a child. And in his mind, he's like saying, this is impossible. This is crazy. But it's the credibility of who was talking to him. He said, God, I don't know how. I don't know how this could happen. I don't know how such a thing could take place. But I, I, I can't, it just makes no sense to me. I'm not going to try and wrap my mind around it. I'm not even going to try to wrap my heart around it. All I'm going to say is, oh God, if you did it, I'm just going to accept it. Let it happen. And that's how salvation works. If you try to wrap your mind around it, if you try to put your hands on it and say, I did it, I made this happen, I'm a good person, the cross is completely worthless. That's why he says, and you too have no excuse. You, he, he says, so, so the, the church right now, you and I, or maybe the Jew back then are saying, what are you saying? My, my righteous life counts for nothing? Are you saying that, that, that what, what value is there in being a Jew, or maybe you're out there and saying, what value is it to be a Christian then? And Paul says it in Romans chapter three, verse one, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Or what value is of circumcision? Now circumcision is talking to Abraham, this promise that God gave him. He came to him and said three times in Genesis 12, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, you can read it. Every time he says, I'm 
going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great through, you are going to become a nation through your offspring. Every single person on the face of the earth will be blessed. He has no child. All he has is a word from God. He has to take God at his word. And this is where you and I struggle. We keep trying to take God at his word here. And we keep trying to take God at his word here instead of just simply taking God at his word. And applying that to our heart and applying it to our head. We spoke a while back on the uh, book of Psalms. Stop trying to talk to your heart. Start leading it. Stop trying to make everything make sense emotionally and mentally and just begin to put out your hand like Abraham did and said, God, it's not that I could believe that this would happen. I can't believe that you would forgive me any more than you would have an 80-year-old person have a child. But if you said it, you're God, you can do it because with you, nothing's impossible. For some of us, it's easier for us to believe that God could have an 80-year-old woman, 80 woman have a child, an 80-year-old couple have a child, than God to willingly forgive you and to do good to you and to do good through you. That's the gospel. That's a simple gospel that God saves you. You see, we're trying to save ourselves, and that's what God's trying to save us from. That's why Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead. You know, in the beginning in in chapter one, he says that the salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It's not a priority for pride. That's what the Jewish people got wrong in the, in the Pharisees and in the Sadducees. They thought they had a position of, of priority and pride. No, it was a position of honor, not of privilege. And the same thing is true with many Christians today. We go around pointing at everybody else, not realizing that the same judgment is on us. And God is looking for human humanity to come before him and say, God, it doesn't matter whether I've gone to church or not. It doesn't matter whether I've been a good person or a bad person or a really bad person or a really good person. I can't reach your standard, but that's why you send Jesus. I don't know. It doesn't make sense here. It doesn't make sense here. But here's, here it is. If you want to forgive me, God, I, I accept it. I receive it. That's why Abraham is called the father of faith. And here's the crazy part. Every single time he gives this promise to him, it's before he has a son. In fact, in one point, his wife, Sarah, in the book of Genesis, when the angel comes to Abraham and says this to him, she laughs. And the angel asks Abraham, why is she laughing? Why is she laughing? And she's laughing because it makes no sense here. And her heart, as a barren woman, doesn't want to be disappointed yet again. And who has children at 80? And yet God said it. And he said, by this time next year, she will be with child. And sure enough, she has a child. And they name him Isaac. Why Isaac? Because Isaac is the Hebrew word for laughter. You see, this is the great thing about who God is and how salvation works. It doesn't matter whether you're in the church or out of the church. It doesn't matter whether you're a good person or a bad person. Nobody's good enough. God comes down and he says, I want to be your savior. Please let me. Don't ruin it by thinking that you can save yourself. I want to grace you with forgiveness. And now I want to help change your direction, not your perfection, so that I can make a difference through the world. And he ends it off here. In chapter 3, verses nine and, uh, verses, verse 20, let me read verse 20 to you. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Why do we have the law of God? Why do we have the Ten Commandments? Why do we have the 613 commandments? If you look through the entire Old Testament, the Jewish people have numbered them, the 613 why do we have those? For one reason only, to show you that there is nobody that's good enough. 
you can't save yourself. Well, what are you saying, Pastor Paul? I'm a, I'm a godly person. I'm a good person. Yes, and that's what God wants us to be. Well, what do you mean that I, I, I'm a righteous person? I, I live right. I've, I've suffered and sacrificed to, to walk straight in a crooked world. Doesn't that mean anything? Yes, of course. What advantage is there to being a Jew? What advantage is there of being a Christian? Well, there's advantage in every way. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, he said first of all, we were entrusted with the oracles of God. It's a place of, priv it's a place of honor not a position of pride and privilege. And he comes to us and he turns to us and he says, listen, chapter three, verses 21 and 24, but now a righteousness from God apart has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're a good person or a bad person. We are hopelessly lost. We are great sinners. God is a great savior. And rather than us going around to the world pointing out at it, what's wrong with it? He wants us to point up to him that God wants to set you free. Maybe you're like me, where you've grown up in the Pentecostal church or the Catholic church where legalism abounds that says that you ask Jesus into your heart and he forgives you, but for the rest of your life, you better work it out because you might not make it. Or even worse, you look at yourself and you think you're working it out and you treat God like a frequent flyer program that heaven is going to be deserved to you because you paid enough on credit and, and paid into enough good deeds that now the flight to heaven is something that comes as a result of that. Absolutely not. It comes through faith. Listen to the, to the opening statement that Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17, I'll read 17. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I don't just need a savior once in my life. I need a daily savior. And the first two chapters of Roman is God's, in Romans is God simply trying to show people who are near and far from him, nobody's close enough. And that's why Jesus had to come. And that heaven and hell are not filled with good and bad people. They're filled with people who tried to either ignore their savior and be their own savior or chose instead of pointing out to point up and say, he's my savior. And that's what God wants to do for you. And he wants to do it for me. And he wants to do it here because salvation is something that happens on God and God alone. It's called justification, just as if you've never sinned. Next week, we're going to talk about what it is to be sanctified. In other words, once we finally buy into this truth and say, okay, I'm not my own savior. How does God clean me up? And this is a beautiful truth that I think hits with Christian uh, followers of Christ because we struggle with condemning ourselves and, and falling short and God wants to set us free from that. But right here, right now, I'm talking to those of you inside the church that you thought that heaven was something that was a frequent flyer program. You, your good deeds were as, as if you were putting your contribution in your 401k for eternity and, and God was gonna increase it and match it. No, this is a complete gift from God. The moment that you're contributing to it, it ruins it. 
See, because it has to be by faith. And that's what I want you to do here. If there's something, what would I, what would I ask? If you were to say, Pastor Paul, what are you hoping that I, I know from this message here? Is that sin separates us from God and it doesn't matter how big or small it is. It can't touch a star and, any more than you and I can touch the standard that God has for us. That the distance of your sins don't determine uh, or the deviance of them don't determine your distance to God, that you're closer or further away from him based off of how good or bad you are. And that we would do this, that we'd reframe our relationship with Jesus based not on what we do, but on what he's done. We'd acknowledge our own sin, whether, how, whether however small or, or, or large it is. And that we wouldn't be trying to live a righteous life to earn good standing with God. We would be like Abraham with an empty open hand and say, oh God, I don't know how or why you would forgive me, or how you would make this have nothing to do with me and everything to do with you, but I open up an empty open hand and I just say, it doesn't make sense to my head, it doesn't make sense to my heart, but I receive it. That would be what I want you to do with me right now. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, or you've never even heard of church in Christ before, she'd pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, with everyone listening, watching, hearing. There isn't a single one of the Ten Commandments someone couldn't be found guilty on. And you're not looking for good people. You're looking for people who look to you and say, you're a good God. Right now, Jesus, we don't know how or why, but you, we just trust to who you are. If you said it, if you can forgive me of a self-righteous life, if you can forgive me of a sinful life, and then you can set me free so that you can do great things to my life and through my life. I don't know how, I don't know why you do it, but I come to you again with an empty open hand and say, Lord, please fill it. Fill it with your grace, fill it with your goodness. Lord, I pray that right now you would release people from trying to think that they contribute to salvation. You saved us, you freed us, you did for us what we couldn't do and we need that. Lord, help us to stop trying to earn our salvation and help us to walk in a relationship in freedom with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. Make sure to follow us on social media and go to lowellag.org for all updates. We'll see you next week.